Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out with his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus was teaching in one of the small towns of Galilee, here unnamed. Matthew tells us that this uh, incident took place immediately after the Mount of Beatitudes. And as Jesus was making his way through this town, he was accosted by, uh, by a leper. The uh, word immediately suggests that this man surprised him. He spoke to him, and it was unexpected. The reason was that this man had no business in town. According to Old Testament law, he was uh, ostracized, he was quarantined, he was uh, told to stay in his place. They had leper colonies then, as, as we do now, and, and lepers were, were prohibited from associating with polite company. Luke describes him as filled or covered with with leprosy, which most commentators agree was a technical medical term for an advanced case. This man's leprosy was uh, virulent. His, he was totally involved from the top of his head to the, to the bottom of his feet. He was all lesions and stumps and bleeding sores and bruises and discolorations. He must have been frightful to, uh, to see, shocking in his ugliness. A, a grisly caricature of what a man was was intended to be. This man, sometime before, had, had appeared before the priest and had received what amounted to a death sentence. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 13, there are a number of uh, rules that are given for diagnosis, ways by which they could determine whether or not a person had a, a, a case, whether the leprosy was genuinely leprosy or not, and uh, this man had been diagnosed, and he, he had received a sentence of death because in those days leprosy was incurable. No one had ever been cured within Israel of a case of uh, leprosy. So this man was, was part of the, the walking, living dead. As I mentioned earlier, he, uh, he had to wear the, the garments of mourning for the dead. Tore his garments, wore a covering over his head, and covered his mustache, is the way it's put, and uh, essentially he was, he was considered dead. And there was no hope uh, for him. Of all of the diseases in the Bible, leprosy is the only one that's linked with sin by the law in the prophets. Uh, it's not that leprosy itself is sinful or that uh, every case of leprosy had its cause in, in a specific sin, 
It's simply that in the mind of, of Moses and the prophets, leprosy was, was a symbol of sin, of the thing that, that, that's gone wrong with us. It, it suggests that if sin were, come, would, were to come to the surface, it would look like leprosy. We, we can't see our sin, and fictionalized sin always, uh, always looks good, but, but in reality, sin is, is, is something awful for God to behold. And if it suddenly were to come out on the surface and we, we could see it as God sees it, we would think it just as awful as, as God does. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking now, but uh, it, you know I know that in any any group like this, people's minds are wandering and they're thinking about all sorts of things. What would it be like if what you are thinking about right now suddenly came to the surface and everybody could see it? You know Nathaniel's Hawthorne story of of the scarlet letter. It would be one thing to wear a sweatshirt with a scarlet A depicting you as an adulteress or an adulterer, but but it would be another thing if uh, you're harboring a grudge and and it would come out on the surface, suddenly you discover you have a zit on your nose. And everyone would see it, and everyone would know. That's, that's the sort of thing symbolized by leprosy. Leprosy is what sin would, would look like if, if we could see it. Furthermore, it's a good uh, symbol of sin because the consequences of leprosy in those days was, was death. And... Uh, that's true of us. Sin has killed us. We come into the world terminal. Uh, as Bob Dylan puts it, stone cold dead when I came out of the womb. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We begin to die the moment we're born because that's the consequences of, of sin. The wages of sin is death, Paul tells us. So leprosy is a very apt symbol of sin and what sin would look like and what sin does to us. Now, this man lingered on the outskirts of the crowd. He uh, must have listened to Jesus teach. He had seen him carry out some of his healings, perhaps. And uh, maybe he was at the foot of, of the mount uh, when Jesus gave the, the sermon on the mount. So he heard his, heard his teaching, and he'd followed him into this, this town. And suddenly he burst through the crowd, and, and he fell on his knees, and he, and he worshipped our Lord. And he makes the, as far as I know, the, the, this is the only occasion, or this is the first occasion, where someone makes a request for himself in the Gospels. Just a couple of uh, sentences, a couple of phrases. If, if you will, he said, you, you can make me clean. Now, uh, the request is very simple, but here's a man with great understanding. First of all, he realized that it might not be God's will for him to receive healing. He had observed enough of Jesus' healings to know that there were many that were overlooked, that were many that were not healed, and for whatever reason God has, there, there, some would linger on in, in their sickness. There are certain things that sickness and sickness alone can produce in us, and, and God may, may, may allow the sickness to run its course. So he didn't know whether or not our Lord would heal him on this occasion, but he knew he could. That's the point. If he wanted to, in this, if he was willing to, on this occasion, he, uh, he could. Which is remarkable when you think about it, because as far as we know, there'd never been a healing of leprosy within Israel. Our Lord himself uh, makes that point, at least uh, it was true up to the time of Elisha, uh, in chapter 4, just across the page in my New Testament. 
he said uh, to the congregation in the synagogue in, in Nazareth, uh, he says, Elijah was not sent to, uh, pardon me, verse 27, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only, only Naaman, the, uh, Naaman the Syrian. So here's an outsider, alien, who was healed by Elijah, but... Uh, as far as we know, there were no Israelites that were healed. Miriam may be the exception, but her case of leprosy was also extraordinary. She was stricken down by leprosy as a result of God's judgment, and then she was supernaturally healed. But as far as we know, she would be an exception to the rule. No other Israelite had been healed. So this is quite a, a, an affirmation of faith when this man says, You can do it. You can do it. I know you can. Here is an incurable disease. This man had not seen Jesus cure leprosy, but he knew he could do it. And so he, uh, he made his appeal. Mark tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. It's easy to read over a, a phrase like that and miss the significance of it. Would you or I be uh, moved with compassion if we saw someone like this? Our Lord was just as disgusted with the disease as we would be. It would be just as horrific to him. But uh, he loved the leper. He hated the leprosy. But he loved the leper. And a disease that normally would, would have repulsed anyone attracted our Lord. And uh, Luke tells us that he reached out his hand. Perhaps the man was, was afraid to stand too close. He knew he was defiled. But he reached out his hand. And most of our translations say he touched him. But the word actually means he grasped him. I don't know what he did, but uh, I, I, knowing our Lord, I think what he did is that he just threw his arms around this man and drew him to himself. Now, you just stop and think what this man looked like. Part, parts of, of his, his members, his fingers, his face had, were gone. There were open, bleeding wounds, and, and yet our Lord drew him to himself. He had compassion on him. That's, that's the heart of our Lord. Uh, I mentioned, I think a year, year or so ago, a friend of mine, Roy Thompson, with whom I went to school, we were, we were walking down the street one day, and Roy had just going through a, a, just a, a disastrous uh, set of experiences in his life. His wife had left him and took the children. His oldest boy was involved in an automobile accident, and he was rendered paralyzed, is to this, to this day. He's a paraplegic. And uh, Roy was grieving over these losses in his life. We were walking down Telegraph Avenue in Oakland, talk, uh, in Berkeley, and talking, and we were following this uh, young woman who was uh, obviously a counterculture type, and she had a little boy with her, and he's a dirty, grimy, smelly little boy. We could smell him from, from behind, and, and she was irritated with him, angry at him, swearing at him, and jerking him along, and, and eventually she uh, gave him a little cuff and, and walked off and left him, and he sat down on the on the curb with his feet in the gutter, and, and, and Roy sat down with the little boy. He just dropped down beside him and just gathered him up in his arms, and, and, he, and Roy started to weep, and the little boy must have recognized a kindred spirit because he put his, put his uh, head down on his shoulder, and, and he began to cry. And, and the woman came back and began to swear at, at Roy, and Roy looked up at her, and he said, Lady, he said, if you don't want him, I'll keep him. And I... Uh, Every time I think of that event, I, I think of our, of our Lord putting his arms around the likes of us, just like that grimy, smelly little boy, 
And he says, I don't care if no, if no one else in the world wants you, I'll, I'll keep you. That's the kind of heart that he has. He's, he has a heart of, of compassion. We used to have a little picture in our kitchen of a teenage boy. Any high school kid looking at it would say he gets high. They, they would just know he looks the part. Dresses the part, looks the part, his shoulders are hunched and, and his eyes look hollow and, and he just looks miserable. And the Lord is standing next to him and he, and he has his arm around him. He's, he, he's embracing this, this kid and, and looking at him and you, can, you just sense the, the love and the compassion in the face of our Lord. And every time I looked at that picture, you know, I, I thought of these dear kids of ours, many of whom are in big trouble and, and we sometimes get very irritated and angry with them. And, and our Lord hates the sin. He hates the drugs. But he loves the kids. And he loves us. I, just, I can't get away from this picture. Of our Lord seeing through all the awfulness of our life. Seeing that you know, he, he's the ultimate realist. He knows everything about us. And... Uh, and yet he loves us. He hates the sin, but he loves us. And he gathers us in just as he gathered in this, this desperately uh, sick, leprous man. And he spoke the word, I will, he said, be clean. Uh, throughout both the Old and New Testament, that's the word that's used for um, the healing of lepers. They're cleansed because they're a picture of, of defilement. You uh, raise the dead, you heal the sick, but you cleanse lepers because leprosy is a dirty disease. It calls for cleansing, purification. And our Lord looked at him and he said, I, I will be clean. And the man was immediately healed. In other words, his flesh regenerated. He, he, he had skin, the sort of skin you'd expect on a baby. Brand new skin, fresh start, immediate healing. You read these words and you, and you miss the power of them. If we'd been on the spot and we'd seen that, that miracle take place, we would have been as stunned as the people that, that were observing. Immediate change. New life. New start. New beginning given to, the, given to this man. A number of years ago, I attended a, a healing service in California conducted by a, a quite a well-known woman who's a, who's a faith healer. And... Uh, uh, the stage was filled with people who who were looking for healing, and they came in their wheelchairs and with their with their crutches and canes, and and uh, she would uh, pray over someone who limped in on their crutches, and they'd throw their crutches away and then limp off the other side, and, or someone would have arthritis, and she'd pray for them, and they'd straighten up a little bit, and then they they'd limp off the other side, and and I thought when I when I watched how different from our Lord's healings and his miracles when when uh, he gave a man back his legs he leaped into the air he didn't get a little bit better uh, he was as good as new and when he raised the dead there weren't people who were almost dead they were stone cold dead and uh, he raised them from the dead and and here when he spoke he just spoke the word embraced this man and spoke the word and he he was regenerated. He became a, a brand new man. Immediately, he was, uh, he was healed. And then we're told that Jesus sternly, sternly charged him 
uh, to, uh, to tell no one. He was to hold his tongue and, and to go to the temple and to offer the sacrifices which Moses prescribed for cleansing. I, uh, we're not told why he was told to be silent. Uh, some commentators suggest that uh, had he announced this healing, the crowds would have gotten so large that Jesus could no longer minister in that area. And Mark does tell us that uh, this resulted, uh, his announcement resulted in some problems for our Lord. People began to flock to him. I'm wondering, though, if, if our Lord didn't have something else in mind, because this miracle was done publicly, it was done in the presence of a crowd, and, and uh, the word would have gotten out rapidly. I think our Lord rather wanted him to go to the temple and say nothing until he went to the temple and learned the meaning of the miracle. Because having gone to the temple, he would see the significance of what God had, what the Lord had done for him. And it would have a, a significance far greater than anything our Lord could have said at this point. Now, let me tell you why. 2,000 years before this event, Moses put into the law uh, a, a set of rules for purification of lepers, which as far as we know had never been used. As a matter of fact, had this man shown up at the temple and uh, uh, asked the priest to, uh, to carry out the uh, procedure, he would have had to uh, call up the lawyers or, or go look at the law, uh, library, take out the books, and began to look it up because he, he wasn't experienced in this procedure. Now, this is what Moses said you were to do if you were a cleansed leper. You sent word to the priest. You, you could not go into the city. You could not go into the temple, so you had to send word to the priest. The priest then came outside the city to meet you. In other words, he had to participate to some extent in your defilement. He went where you are, which is reminiscent of what Hebrews says about our Lord going outside the, outside the walls of the city, meeting us, bearing our defilement. And uh, when the priest uh, uh, met you outside the city, he would uh, investigate uh, closely. And, and if he concluded that you were indeed healed, then uh, he would bring you into the city, into the temple. And uh, there was a... There, there, were, there were some things that, that he did for you. You wouldn't be able to procure any of these items. Someone would have to get them for you. Uh, you were to uh, get a little piece of hyssop. That's uh, somewhat like our sage. It's in the family with uh, sage and oregano and, and some of those spices. Uh, it quickly absorbs uh, liquids. It was, if you remember the story of the crucifixion, uh, someone dipped hyssop into vinegar or wine and placed it, uh, uh, passed it up to our Lord uh, when he was hanging on the cross. It was used that way because it would absorb fluids. So you would take a little piece of hyssop and a little bit of cedar wood and some red thread, and you were to find two birds. The birds were to be flawless. And uh, then the priest would, I, I think, I'm speculating, he would... Uh, put the hyssop and the bird and the cedar together and he would wrap the thread around it to hold it all into a bundle and then he would hold the bird over a bowl and he would kill the bird and as the bird's blood ran into the bowl the bird would be washed under running water and the blood and water would fill the bowl and then the priest would take the other bird the live bird and dip it in the blood and he would turn that bird loose and it would fly away. Now, that's a beautiful picture of what Paul describes in Romans 4, 
when he says our Lord was crucified for our transgressions and he was, he was raised for our justification. One bird is put to death. It offers up its life. That's what, uh, that's what the pouring out of blood signifies. It's the giving up of a life. One bird is given up for the life of the leper. The other bird then flies away. It's a picture of our identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection for us. Our Lord bore our sins in his body on the cross. Our transgressions were laid upon him. He gave up his life for us. And then as God's stamp of approval on what our Lord had done, he raised him from the dead and we were raised with him to newness of life. We're regenerated. All the marks of the old life have been erased. We are new men and women in Christ. Now, did they understand this when when Moses gave the law? I don't know. Probably not. But just think, if you were the man who went through this procedure and then later saw our Lord lifted up on a cross and crucified and then had an opportunity to meet him after the resurrection, wouldn't it all fall into place? The coin would drop. And you would see the deeper significance of this, uh, of this healing. Now, after this preliminary uh, procedure, then the leper was told to, to go home and bathe himself and shave and wash his clothes and put on fresh clothes. And then seven days later, he, he repeated that procedure. He shaved again and, and he bathed himself again and washed his clothes and put on fresh clothes. And he came to the, to the temple, which is a picture, again, of the cleansing, the washing away of all of our of our sin. He could now be identified with the people of God. He was no longer separated from God. He was no longer separated from the people of God. He could come to the temple and worship. And when he when he did, he brought three three lambs, a ram and, and two ewes, uh, again flawless, sinless in that sense. And um, uh, these these lambs would be sacrificed, perhaps as a kind of well, a way of catching up on the sacrifices that had been omitted while he was separated from the temple. And then the priest would he'd do an interesting thing. He'd, he'd dip his finger in the blood of, of the lamb that was offered for the burnt offering, and he would put a little bit of blood on the earlobe of the uh, ex-leper, and then some blood on his thumb, and then some blood on his big toe. And uh, we asked, what, what's that all about? Well, that was exactly the same procedure that was followed for the uh, sanctification of the priest, the setting apart of the priest for service. The, the same thing was done. Blood was placed on their ear and on their thumb and on their big toe as a picture of one who would now hear the word of God. Their ears were sanctified. They were set apart to God so they would listen to God's word. And they would do God's word wherever the hands are involved in the Old Testament. Symbolically, it's a picture of actions that, uh, that uh, come from the attitudes that are learned from listening to God. And uh, then we walk with him. We now can fellowship uh, with him because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now, again, did they understand all of this? Probably not. Probably not. Some may have. But in any case, we understand because we can look back on this event now and see that this is simply a picture of what it means to be restored again to fellowship with God after being separated. We're drawn back in by the love of God. We see him offer up his life for us. His blood, his blood is applied to us. So even though we've been defiled, 
We we're set right, so we can we can serve. What a wonderful picture of the of, of the redemptive work uh, of Christ. Now, uh, I want you to look at one Old Testament passage, Psalm fifty-one. Psalm fifty-one is the story of David's uh, comeback. I suppose we can call it after his sins of adultery and and murder. Uh, he took uh, the wife of one of his best friends, and uh, she became uh, pregnant. He had an affair with her, and uh, uh, then he tried to cover up the sin for a year. He was able to uh, keep uh, the fact, keep it under his hat, but um, finally it came out. Nathan the prophet uh, appeared in his court one day with a story about a man who. Uh, had a little pet lamb, and his neighbor had lots of uh, sheep, flocks of sheep, and he was going to have, have a party for his friends, and he didn't want to take any of his lambs, so he stole his neighbor's one little lamb and uh, killed it so they, would ha- they could have a feast. And David was outraged when he heard the story, leaped off his throne and said, that man deserves to die. Uh, sheep napping was not a capital offense in those days, but... Uh, David was just incensed and outraged by the thoughtlessness of this act. And Nathan stuck his finger under David's nose and said, You're the man. And as you know, David fell apart. Uh, he put his face in his hands and he said, I have sinned. And uh, he asked for God's forgiveness. Now, out of that, that, that terrible time in his life, David wrote this, uh, this psalm. I want to read it to you, beginning with verse 1. <laughs> Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. There's that word again. Because according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions, my lawlessness. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He could not fight his conscience. One of the other, other Psalms indicates that during the time that David was trying to hide his sin, he was physically sick. He thought he was going to die. Uh, he was so uh, guilt-stricken. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in thy in thy sight. Sin, you see, is not uh, merely against the law. He did not merely sin against Uriah. He didn't merely sin against Bathsheba. He didn't merely sin against the unborn child. He sinned against God. Sin breaks God's heart. He hates it. He despises it, but he does not despise the sinner. He loves the sinner. He says in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Not that there's anything sinful about conception. David is being utterly realistic. He's pointing out that he came into the world sinful. There was an evil inclination, a twist to his character, that uh, when he sinned, he was acting entirely according to character. This is what you could expect from someone who is intrinsically sinful. On the other hand, he says, You desire truth. In the innermost being and in the hidden part, you will make me no wisdom. Uh, make me no wisdom. Verse seven: Purify me, literally de-sin me. That's what the Hebrew word means: de-sin me. In other words, remove all 
of my sin. Purify me with what? With hyssop. What was David thinking about? Well, he well knew the law in Leviticus 14. He, he well understood that there was only one way that the leper could be cleansed. That's through the application of blood on the little hyssop brush that was used. Purify me with hyssop and what? I shall be clean. Can you look at yourself that way? Can you look back on your past life and can you see it as God sees it with, a, with all the awfulness of sin breaking through and manifesting itself for what it really is and we cannot gloss over the ugliness of our lives, any of us. But can you realize that because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, because God took the hyssop, as it were, and dipped it into the blood of Christ and sprinkled it seven times over you, which is a picture of the completeness of that act. You can be clean. You can be cleansed from your leprosy. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Like the man who goes back to his house, and he bathes, and he shaves, and he washes his clothes, and he appears again before the presence of God in the temple, whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. In other words, restore me to fellowship and to the joy that's the byproduct of fellowship with God. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a, with a willing spirit. That is a spirit that's willing to follow, uh, follow you in obedience. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. David's ways were harsh. When Nathan uh, trumped up that story and told it to him, David said, The man deserves to die. And David deserved to die. And God was just when he judged David and said, You deserve to die. But what God did is to take David's place and die on David's behalf and on your behalf and on my behalf. So that he could, he could justify us. So he could display his compassion. So he could still be just and justify the sinner. When we, when we talked, when we studied the book of Romans, we saw that was the, the problem, if we can put it that way, that God had to face. How could God be just? How could God be the moral universe, uh, moral governor of the universe and do what was right and still justify the sinner? The only way is for him. To take upon himself our sin and to perish on our, on our behalf. And, and that's what he did out of his compassion and his mercy. You see, it's again this picture of the leper that he throws his arms around us and he draws us to himself because he loves us. That's his way. That's his way. You see, it's those who realize how much they've been forgiven who are able to forgive others, who are able to be tolerant of others, who are able to walk into situations that uh, would normally be abhorrent and repulsive to us. And, and, and we could talk to this person who is, is disease-ridden, sin-ridden, and we can put our arms around them and we can love them as our Lord Jesus loved us. Then we can teach transgressors his ways, you see. Someone put it this way. He said, it. I, I marvel at the folly of God to choose for his holy work in the world, a bunch of former lame brains and misfits and nitpickers and stuffed shirts and odd ducks 
and egomaniacs and milquetoasts and closet sensualists. It's us. It's us. A bunch of ex-fornicators, ex-drug users, ex-drunks, ex-liars, thieves, gossips. And he shows us his ways. He draws us to himself. And then we can begin to love others as he has loved us. Augustine said in his uh, confessions that he turned from his disgust to Christ. We can do that. Uh, pardon me. He turned from disgust from his sin to Christ. And, and we can do that. We can do that. We ought to be disgusted with our sin. God is disgusted with our sin. But he is not disgusted with us. He hates our sin because it defiles us. But he loves us. Will you this morning turn with disgust from your sin to Christ? He loves you. He's reaching out to you. He wants to embrace you. He has forgiven you all your trespasses. He bore your sins in his body on the cross. And then he was raised as the sign that God accepted that sacrifice. Will you trust him? Will you believe that that's true? The scriptures tell us that the one who comes to him will not be cast out. He cannot reject you, reject you if you come to him on that basis. Let's pray. Will you pray along with me? Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord, we thank you so much for the, for the plan of the Father that uh, made it possible for you to come and, and, and to save us and to set things right. We, uh, we know full well the enormity of our sin, the depth of it. No one else may know, Lord, but we know, and you know. And yet, despite our evil, you, you, you did not reject us. Your word tells us that it's while we're yet sinners that Christ died for us. We acknowledge that we're sinful, and we thank you for for accepting us as we are, teaching us your ways, and then setting us free to serve. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.